Well, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. It's good to see you. Before we begin, I want to just quickly uh, do a quick announcement. I've asked by Andy Grinberg's. If anyone's interested in signing up for that mission to Muskrat Dam, uh, if you get a note no today, and uh, we're going to be getting a series on boldness and kind of proclaiming Christ. So if God's been putting on your heart a way to reach out, that might be a good way to do that. So that's uh, uh, today. Just get a hold of Andy Grinberg's if you want to go be part of that hockey ministry up north of First Nations. I want to take us back about 110 years to an event that probably shaped the church more than most of us would ever recognize. There was a man, his name was William J. Seymour. And this man uh, began praying and preaching in Texas. And he was praying and preaching about what he called the baptism of the Holy Spirit and a request for the gift of tongues. And he himself had not spoken tongues, but he just had it on his heart, he felt, to, to speak about this. And he did, and then someone from California was there and heard it and invited him to come up to a church in California. And so he came to California and he preached that same message. And he was going to be preaching a bunch of messages. And then the next time he came to the church to preach the message, he found that the door was padlocked. They didn't want to hear about speaking in tongues, especially since from a person who's never experienced this thing. And so what happened was a bunch of the people from that church went and they went to, to meet in a, a person's house right on the porch, actually. And they started beginning prayer meetings and praying. And then one day, about six of the people, one, one of the persons actually, first started speaking in tongues. Then they do it a couple more days later, and then six people started speaking in tongues, including someone who then became his wife. Eventually, as this began to grow, uh, they, they, it got so big that the porch collapsed. And so they realized, well, we better go and find ourselves a building. So they went to find an old church building. I think it's up here. The Apostolic Faith Gospel Mission. It used to be a church building. that became a, a furniture warehouse and a bunch of other things. They bought it. It was really short. And uh, they started uh, church services there. And what happened was a spark was ignited. A revival happened. It was called the Azusa Street Revival. And this, my friends, was the beginning of Pentecostalism as we know it. And from here, more of the holiness churches began to hear about this. William J. Seymour went uh, around and started preaching. And the rest, as they say, is history. From this little spark, and what was very interesting, I can show you a little uh, picture here. When it first started happening, weird babble of tongues. At the same time, there was a lot of racial disharmony going on in Los Angeles. You can see that in, right beside there. It was around the, the, the Jim Crow days. And, and one of the things that they were cr cr criticized for was it was black and white people gathering together with Asians and Hispanics, and it was pandemonium. And as this began to grow, it crossed the entire planet. All of the continents have a Pentecostal church on it. Maybe not in Antarctica, but I'm sure Pentecostals are there as well. The fastest growing religious movement in world history was born. Also, perhaps one of the most controversial moments in modern church history. Because the response on the other side was, wait a second, how do we know that this is of God? There's some really crazy stuff happening. And we believe that these gifts 
are done. And so I now begin a very controversial sermon. <laughs> I want you to look around for a second. Look around at this church. Secretly amongst you are tongue speakers. Secretly amongst you are those who would feel, I don't know, I'm, that might even, I, I wonder if that's demonic. This is the extremes that we have sitting even in this church. And what I love about a church like Forest View is actually the openness there is for us to try to interpret Scripture together. So just be aware, I'm not going to try to come down with some hammer and be like, you have to believe this. What I want to do is kind of open up the Word and kind of talk about the different positions on this quite controversial topic. Is that all right? Let us begin, um, first of all, just recognizing there are the two different sides. The one side is called the cessationists, which would believe that the, the more um, flashy spiritual gifts have ceased after the age of the apostles. And then you might have, I often call it the sensationalists. These are the ones who are like, just always want fireworks in worship. And then there's a big spectrum between, which are called the continuationists, and it's different levels. Some would say certain gifts have continued, certain ones haven't. Others would say all of them are continuing. Um, and it's very interesting. So someone on the cessationist side would be someone like John MacArthur and the, and the Strange Fire Movement. And then you'd have someone that, that's a continuationist that believes that tongues is even for today, which you wouldn't necessarily suspect is someone like John Piper. And so there's a lot of different theologians that are coming from different directions on this. And so they, I want to open up the word and just uh, one of the, my desires is that we get to know each other a little bit, understand each other a little bit, understand the sincerity of the desire to follow Jesus that can be part of um, people on either spectrum. Let's begin with 1 Corinthians 12, 4. And I'll read the whole entire passage and we'll start to touch on things. There are different kinds of gifts but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. It's a lot to unpack in this verse. A lot of different gifts, and there's different views on each of them. And some of them are very hard to even understand exactly what was being spoken of in that time and age. We don't know exactly what some of these might have been. But he does say that they're all for the common good. So whatever's happening in Corinth, God gave these things to bless that church. And he says that they're manifestations of the Spirit. This is how the Spirit is showing up amongst them and using them. Now, these are some of the more flashy gifts. We know that in Corinth, they are kind of a little bit obsessed with these gifts. And so what I would say is a little bit of what's happening is, is Paul's writing a letter to correct some of that overemphasis. 
But he's also addressing these gifts and, and, and describing them and, and kind of walking through them. So I like to kind of walk through them one by one and try to maybe untangle them a little bit. The first gift, it says, is, is a word of wisdom. I find that this one to be the nicest and easiest of them. It's good to start off easy. The word of wisdom seems to be, although we don't know exactly because there's not any other kind of man, uh, records of this type of language. We have it in Corinthians. The words of wisdom, I would say, seems to be a manifestation of the Holy Spirit that works in certain people and certain gifts where they are able to look at the scriptures and understand how that should be applied to someone in their life right now. So, so to give you a wise word when you're facing a situation in your life, one of the hardest things about scriptures, you kind of understand the meaning, the application gets more difficult. And there is a gift where certain people, you might know them, who are very wise. And it almost seems like uh, God has a, a special favor upon them and their ability to, to see through what's happening in your life and, and in their own lives and kind of say, well, what about this? And kind of bring the right scripture to play, the right principle to play, and understand how you're going to live that out in your life. That's what I would call a word of wisdom. Anyone seen that before? You had someone that kind of gave you a word of wisdom? Yeah. You're like, that's what I needed to hear. Then it talks about a word of knowledge. Now we're getting a little bit more funky, maybe. Again, we don't know exactly what was being said there. But I would say when I'm reading about a word of knowledge, what I tend to think about is a kind of a very specific piece of information or knowledge that is given to a person by the Holy Spirit, supernaturally. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? I had a friend say to me um, that God doesn't speak to the individual like that. You know, God doesn't speak to you individually. If you want to hear God's voice, read the word. If you want to hear God's voice out loud, read the word out loud. <laughs> and the point was, the Bible is all you need. And I, and I agree, the Bible is sufficient for us and has the principles. But one of the questions I had when I heard hearing this was, how many times do I hear fellow believers saying to each other, I really felt the Lord was saying to me, blank. How many of you have made life decisions in your life and you prayed about it and sought the Lord and I'm like, God, please let me know what I'm supposed to do. Why would you do that if you didn't think the Lord would ever speak to you? And I understand maybe the word, these words are disappeared and you could interpret that way. And, and I definitely would say there are cessationist interpretations of Scripture that I think I can legitimately understand. They read through it and they're like, they're consistent. They're like, no, that doesn't happen. And I understand that. And I respect that, actually. And I wanted to say that we should respect those amongst us who might hold to that. On the other hand, I would say in my own personal life, there's been times like, I, don't, I would not be a pastor standing here if I didn't feel like God said to me, you need to be a pastor. I definitely wouldn't have stayed a pastor. Unless I felt like the Lord was saying, you are still to be a pastor. You know what I'm saying? That idea like sometimes and certain people kind of hear that kind of inner voice, that still small voice. And God's speaking to them and kind of guiding them. And that's what I would think of as a word of knowledge. It could be more specific where someone tell, he, maybe God kind of gives you a specific piece of information that's kind of revelatory about what's happening or some other things. But it could be simple as just God kind of saying to you, I need this out of you. Or you go to him for advice and you feel like there's an impression on your heart. How does that work? I don't want to get uh, too much into it. In many ways, it's kind of a, a, an art that you learn as you start to pray to the Lord and start to discern. And we're going to hear about the discernment of spirits because, yes, there's dangers involved with these things. And we always have to check everything that we think is on our heart against the word. 
And if it ever is contradiction to the word of God, then we cannot go there because we recognize that that is not of God. The next gift, it says, is the, the gift of faith, which I find a very interesting phrase, isn't it? I thought we all had faith. Or were we all supposed to have faith? Ah, I don't have the gift of faith, so I guess I don't have to believe in Jesus. Like, no. no. Must be something very specific here, right? This is the idea. And I don't know if you know some of those people that have a very, very um, bold, very like supernatural, I would even say, faith. You know what I'm talking about? That faith where you're like, wow, like you just trust God and you go all guns blazing. God gives some people a very special dispensation of faith. I would say my mother is an example to me. Like, my mom's faith is like, it wows me. I am sure, I am certain that my mother's faith had saved me and my brother at different times in our lives when we went off the rails. Her faith and her prayer. And it says when you are a person of faith, when you pray, there is a great accomplishment, right? Those people who can pray and there's, there's the strength there. Then it talks about gifts of healing. Now, this one's a more difficult one. Largely because you see televangelists taking advantage of people with this, don't they? Poor people, touch your hand to the screen or send some money and I'll send you some holy water and John Oliver will make fun of them on the TV. And a lot of times this stuff kind of comes to, to backlash against us, doesn't it? And I think that's fair. I think a lot of times people do take advantage of hurt, desperate people. And we have to be very careful. On the other hand, God does heal people sometimes. I've seen it. I've, I know there's those amongst us. I know that there's people that were praying over others and, and seen that all of a sudden they're healed. I had a, a student at Heritage a Baptist college, that when we talked about this stuff, they said, I had a rare form of cancer, and they were showing it, and it had like multiple x-rays of this, and MRIs, and they showed it, and showed it. And then one day, she's getting desperate, and she called the elders to come in. It says in James, by the way, if you're sick, they have the elders, so they'll tell you to come in and, and pray over you, lay hands on you, anoint you with oil. And all of a sudden, it was gone. And they were, they, were, they were showing it on the MRI, and she's like, did you just miss it? Did we get it wrong? I'm like, no, like this was, this was here. Multiple times over many, many months, we, we, this was here, and now it's gone, and we can't explain it. And you know what they actually called it? Spontaneous remission. The scientific term for what we would call a miracle. The hospital has to say, they just healed. We don't know, we can't understand it. It's kind of coincidental that it happened right after the elders prayed over them with oil. On the other hand, with this idea of, of healing, I get, I get afraid when I, I hear people kind of spout the idea that you just have to have enough faith and no matter what, you will be healed. It's kind of a dangerous thing where you, that, that the reason the person dies, there wasn't enough faith. And this happens sometimes, and I hear people, and it, and it breaks my heart. And I'm sorry if that's ever been said to you when you've lost someone. What, what troubles me about that idea is that when you look in scriptures, you see a guy named the Apostle Paul 
who was a, a powerful man of God who had healed many people, had a gift of healing. In fact, he had, he had a gift of healing where if he took off his sweat rag and you touched it and he wasn't even there, you could be healed. Dude was healing people with his do-rag. And yet, he had something in his life that he wanted gone. We don't know if it was physical injury or not. Some people think it was. Some people think it was other things. But he prayed to God three times, please remove this thorn from my flesh. And the God did not remove it. We don't know why. We don't understand. I cannot sit here and pretend to tell you why a certain person is healed and a certain person isn't. And I would say we'd be very wrong to ever do that. It's just as wrong to say that God can't heal people as we are to say that we can somehow arm wrestle God into doing what we want with our particular family member. And that doesn't help the problem of the pain of the loss at all. But at the same time, we're instructed to, to pray. And do some people, when they pray, maybe are, have a more powerful prayer than other people for healing? And maybe, perhaps. And if, it, and if this does exist, I just want to say, it's not like a superpower. It's not like I get to do what I want and heal who I want when I want. This is... God, using the prayers of people, and when he wants to heal someone, he, he can heal someone. I've heard of people being healed, and, and usually there's a very clear purpose for why he's doing this. Um, I know a family in Toronto that were really sick. I, I didn't know them personally, but I knew the pastor that went in there and prayed with them with the elders, and then they were healed. And their entire family all became Christians, like 20 of them. They're like, okay, that God had a, a purpose in this. So there's not a lot more to say on this, just that this is one of those places we've got to be really careful with, right? Because we've seen it really abused. But we also have to be really careful not to quench the spirit, as the scriptures say. To say that God can't do anything either. And the next thing is that there's miraculous powers. It's, it says, uh, another way of translating this kind of literally, energimata dunanimus, would be a dynamic energy. There's a, a dynamic power that happens. Some people have this uh, ability, he's saying at this time, where things would happen. And we see this in, all through scriptures, right? But what's interesting about miraculous powers is that they usually happen in kind of bunches for the most part. You have like Moses, like boom. You have someone like Elijah, and he's just, and then Elisha. And then it kind of doesn't happen as much. You still have every once in a while little incidences of the prophets. And then Jesus and the apostles. The question becomes, why don't we see them as much as we did back then? And I would say, I bet you the people in the intertestamental period were asking the same thing. Why is not this, this happening at the same rate? And again, God has his reasons for doing what he wants to do and what he can do. All I want to say again is don't limit God. He can do the impossible. And he has done these type of things in people's lives here and there. But you can't, again, force God to do the impossible for you. It continues on. It says that there is this gift called prophecy. Now, there's different ways to think about prophecy. A lot of times when you think of prophecy in our society, we think of like foretelling, just like predicting the future. And that was part of what the prophets did. But usually when they predicted the future, it was to foretell, to get the people to get online with God now. The main part of prophecy is giving someone a word that God wants them to hear, often in a, in, a, in a kind of a group context, where something is spoken, where this is the thing that needs to be heard. Uh, last week, I thought Paul gave a great example where he talked about Jordan. 
uh, one of our LT. And he was watching some stuff and hearing some stuff and, he, and thinking about the refugees and what happened to the, the Jewish refugees after World War II. And he just felt on his heart like God was saying to him, you cannot treat the refugees the way your ancestors did. And then he spoke that to the LT. And then that was spoken to us. And it was kind of a prophetic word for us to realize, wait a second, we've got to make sure that we don't fall. Now, is that kind of aligned with the scriptures? It always has to align with the scriptures. I've had someone, even this last week, uh, on staff kind of speak a word. I was like, oh, that's, that is prophetic. I, I received that as something I needed to hear. And that is, it gives me uh, some understanding of what God's doing. Again, always in line with the scripture. But what is God trying to say to someone right now? And I got to say to you, before I came up here today, I asked the Lord to allow me to be prophetic. Anytime you're speaking the word of God to a group of people, you want that to be prophetic. You want God to speak to people. So when you're talking to your neighbor and you're kind of at the right moment, God might be able to bless you with something to say to that person, that, that right thing. And it could be, sometimes it's, it's just kind of seems trivial, but you don't know why. Other times it could be kind of outrageous where you kind of take a bold risk and they're like, hey, I don't mean to say, like, but I was thinking this. And then you hear them, they're like, their jaws drop and they're like, yes, I need to hear that. Now, the danger is false prophecy. All these guys have these dangers where someone comes and says, I'm a prophet of God. I remember hearing this from uh, a student and uh, the kind of thing that went down when I was a professor. And, and one of the, the, the students had told someone they had a prophecy over this person that they were going to die in a car accident and do all this stuff. And, well, it didn't come true. And it's also, a lot of times people will do prophecies as a way to try to control things or, or try to um, assert their own will. I can't tell you when I was a pastor amongst a lot of uh, college-age students, how many times I had someone come to me and say, the Lord has told me that she is to be my wife. I'm like, get in line. There's like five guys have said that to me, man. She's pretty. Like, that's what's going on. Right? Basically, what's going on is they're misinterpreting their own kind of inner desires for God. And sometimes it can go really wrong. I've heard people say, like, oh, God told me that I should buy this particular clothing item. And they're like, so I didn't pay my rent. What? <laughs> like, I think God's pretty clear on, like, paying your debts, right? So there's, there's these damaging sides that come with this stuff. Again, recognizing we need to keep ourselves in line with God and the Spirit. And it also says in the Scriptures, it says that the Spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet's. And I really believe that. So if you come uh, and you're thinking, like, I have a word of, for God for Forest View, what I would suggest to you is you come speak to myself and to the LT and let those who have been given authority in the congregation discern and if they feel it's right to be able to speak that forward. Because a lot of times as individuals, things can go wrong. We get it's skewed. But together as a collective, God can speak more clearly. Does that make sense? And that leads to the next which is the distinguishing between spirits. Distinguishing between spirits is very interesting. Um, what I would say it means is kind of being able to recognize if something's from God or from some other source. That could be someone, something someone says to you. It can also just be the presence of a person. A time I saw this happening was I had a neighbor, um, when I had, and I had a roommate, and my neighbor was kind of in music, so um, he wanted to borrow some stuff from me, so I said, okay, um, He's kind of a little bit off, but I was like, all right. Um, one day we were, I was praying with my friend, 
uh, and another friend of ours, we're just kind of praying together. I hear a knock on the door, and it's this guy. So I open the door, comes in, we start talking a little bit, he throws some stuff, he leaves. And my friends were like, do you do not, I don't, uh. my roommate was like kind of very sensitive, like, I don't want him back in my house ever again. I was like, whoa, okay, like I, I see he's a little bit off, right? Um, and then uh, I'm, I'm there, and he comes back in the middle of our prayer meeting, and uh, he, he said, what are you guys doing? We talked about praying and stuff, and he's like, okay. And he knew I was a Christian, and then um, as he's leaving, he turns around, and he's like, oh, I'm kind of spiritual too. I, I invited a demon into me once. And I looked over at my friends, and I was like, you have discernment of spirits. <laughs> right, that time when you, have you ever felt that presence of something dark, certain people, certain places? That can be a discernment of spirits. Is recognizing some things aren't quite of God. And sometimes it might be a message. You might hear a thing and go, you know, I, don't, I didn't like that. And I think that's important for us to recognize. You know, as much as we are all trying to, to speak the word of God, sometimes we might not be right on point. And we have to have that discernment together. And sometimes it's just as simple as some of us are having a mistake in teaching, and it's not like demonic, but it's like that's not, that's not of truth. That's not of God's spirit, so let's be a little careful with that one and put each other back on place. Next one is tongues and interpretation of tongues, the one you're all waiting for or not, depending. Now, a couple of things with tongues. First of all, there's usually kind of a debate about what this gift even is. Right? The first time we see tongues is in Acts 2, and it says, um, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire, and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. What's happening here is they start speaking, and it's kind of chaotic in the sense that people don't understand it. It's bewildering. But what's happening is people from different countries are hearing their own language. They're like, oh, that's German. That's, well, it probably wasn't German there, but Spanish. Say and Latin and all these these are Aramaic. People are like, "Whoa, I'm hearing Greek." Some of the foreign countries from uh, Africa. They were like, "Whoa, what is happening?" And this is the gift of tongues that we first experience. And so the question becomes, "What was that all about?" Well, I, I was talking to a brother a little while ago who's from the Plymouth Brethren tradition, they were like, what was happening was, like, imagine Thomas marching to India, and as he's going along, he's going to different villages, they have different languages, and he just stops and he speaks the gospel to them in their own language. That's what tongues is for. It's like a missionary tool going out, and that's what tongues is. And I would say, yeah, that is a manifestation of tongues. The question becomes, is there another one, right? What we call the ecstatic utterances, or glossolalia, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.1, if I speak in tongues of men or angels, and some people say, well, the men's the one kind in Acts 2, but angels is a different thing. See, 1 Corinthians 4.14, anyone who speaks in tongues edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. He continues on to say, he'd rather you prophesy, don't speak in tongues in a public setting unless you have interpretation. The reason is, it says again, in 1 Corinthians 4 9, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? How does tongues help anyone except for yourself? What's interesting about that is Paul's saying tongues helps yourself. 
For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue, this is verse 13, should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind's unfruitful. What's going on here is this seems to be something where a spirit can, can kind of do something that's for themselves. But no, no one else can understand it. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who has been put in the position of inquire say amen to your thanksgiving? Since they don't know what you're saying. You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. So tongues seems to be this thing that uh, will usually edify just the individual themselves in this context. We know in Corinth there was a lot of glossolalia already happening in different pagan religions. So there's kind of this ethos in the culture of people kind of just, you might say, babbling or uttering ecstatically. And what's happening is it seems that Paul's saying, hey, that, can, that type of thing, it might be what he's saying, debate about this, but I'm saying this is the interpretation you'll hear from those who defend this, would say, I'm, uh, as, I, as I speak this forward, this is helping bless me, helping me connect to God. It's my spirit just kind of, just, it's kind of where, uh, when it says the spirit in- intervenes with groans, I, you can't understand, right? This is the, the passage, how, how you hear the Pentecostal side take about this. But then again, uh, Paul will say, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So this is importance here where Paul's saying, tongues don't lift it up. Now, I want to clear a few things. The Pentecostal position is not that if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Some people think that. It's like Pentecostals think, if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. That's not what Pentecostals think. The doctrine is that speaking in tongues is the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit subsequent to and separate from conversion. They basically believe in a one-up. That's what I'd say. You're a Christian with the Holy Spirit, and then you get a one-up, and you speak in tongues, and it shows, oh, now you have a special filling. That's what they believe. So don't, don't be offended if Pentecostal person isn't saying you don't have the Holy Spirit, but they are saying that you don't have like, the special next level. The reason they say this is they see in Acts that in Samaria, people accepted Jesus, followed Jesus, but they got tongues later. We see this when John the Baptist's uh, followers uh, accepted Jesus, believed in Jesus, but they got tongues later, a second time. So they say, look it, this is a pattern you need to recognize there's a second time. Now, I, I'm going to tell you, I don't, that's not my interpretation. I don't believe that. I believe that you see Cornelius get tongues and, and convert at the exact same time. You see other people convert and not receive tongues in Acts. So I don't think that's what's happening. Actually, I believe that you should be, as it says in Ephesians, continually filled with the Spirit. Like, we should always be leveling up, right? Just a, just a, a single off. And, and I think that's important to recognize, to not say to someone, you have to have the, the gift of tongues. Because I've seen it before where really awesome Christians were, like, pining to be like someone else who had the gift of tongues. And I was looking at them like, this person is not, like, their life is in chaos. And you're, like, showing the fruit of the Spirit, and yet you want to be like them? Because they had this gift called tongue. That's not it. Right? So we have to be really careful. There's also a lot of clarity about what happens with tongues. In 1 Corinthians 4, 23, it says, So if the whole church comes together, like we are now, and everyone speaks in tongues, and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say you're out of your mind? If someone comes in here and we're all talking in tongues, they'll be like, you are crazy. But if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in and everyone's prophesying, people are speaking truth of God to each other, they'll be convicted of their sin, they're brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their heart are laid bare, 
And so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God really is amongst you. So one of the dangers of tongues is that people will think that you're crazy. They come in, they're like, whoa. Which I, we see. We see the media mocking the holy rollers, right? There's a lot, that, that's what happens. I had a, a friend here, when we were talking about tongues, he was like, you know what? And I got permission to say this. I won't tell you who it is. But they were like, uh, when, when I hear tongues and tongue starts up in a room, like I leave. I'm out. I'm like, why? I don't get it. It weirds me out. I don't. Just recognize that, right? That's a reality. People are just like, ah. I don't, I don't need that. And, and you can see why Paul's saying, unless there's interpretation, it's not really blessing anyone. Let's be careful with this. And so I want to be really careful. Um, I want to say to my friends, maybe from the more charismatic tradition, Pentecostal side, um, to my Pentecostal pals, all do not speak in tongues. I'll, I'll, scripturally. I used to think these two things when I was sneaking off the Pentecostal church at night when I was a Baptist, right? I was like, ah, between the, pulled between the two. And I remember going, like, they both need to read the Bible a little bit more because it seemed very clear to me, and maybe I'm just, I was an arrogant punk at the time, but um, I read this, 1 Corinthians 12, 30. Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. No, in the Greek, the formation is, is not like a, a real question. It's a rhetorical question. It means no. All don't speak in tongues. You could interpret it that way. So when you try to say everyone can speak in tongues, you need to have this to have the second, the, 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 the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm, I'm just like, I, I love you, and I understand that. I can understand how you get to that interpretation. I, I would disagree. I hope we can still live in common peace and love and bond with each other. Right? Come and teach me why I'm wrong. That's all good. On the other hand, to my Baptist brethren, I'd like to put forth another verse. And this is in 1 Corinthians 4, 39. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. I don't know about you. That seems pretty clear. Even if you think it has ceased, you might be like, I'm going to give these people grace. Right? Because you can see why they get where they're going, the scriptures. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. That's the important thing we're hearing here. You breathe now? It says in verse 11, all these things are the work of the one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. He's given these things out purposely, carefully. And like I said, I, used to grow, I grew up in a Baptist church, started going to Pentecostal church, and, and, I, and I saw the dangers. One side was like, I, I hear it sometimes, people say, those people speaking tongues are demonic. And I'm like, I've been amongst them. Like, there's some really awesome evangelists and people of God. Like, I, I just think maybe we should pull back on that one a little bit. And then I hear other people on the other side kind of always just seeking flashiness. I'm kind of like, your, your, your faith is kind of... I remember going to the Toronto Blessing which is a very interesting phenomenon, by the way. A lot of people in England have, can trace back their salvation to that, so I'd be very careful with it. But when I went to it, I remember walking in, and then I'm walking through, just I'm coming through the first little bit, and I'm, used to, I'm actually used to charismata in that sense. I'm, I'm used to what happens, people falling over and that type of stuff. And all of a sudden, I'm walking along, and someone goes, bah, 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 like that to me. Sorry to do it to you, because it really freaked me out, so I imagine you're feeling the same thing. And I jumped back, and I was just like, 
That didn't, discernment of spirits is going off. Ding, 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 radar, spidey sense. That didn't feel from God for me. <laughs> and I started realizing sometimes people just want the, the extra flash, right? You know what I'm saying? And that's not of God either. And so we have to recognize this balancing thing. Jonathan Edwards is really an amazing uh, evangelist who helped uh, spread the word of God and how a lot of people come to revival. And he said some really interesting things. One of the things he said was, when, you, when the revival started happening, there was two for him. There was, what he says, there was neutral effects. There was neutral things he'd see. Some of them were bodily effects. Some people just kind of shaking. or like, He saw these things happening. Some people would just be overcome with emotions, weeping, just very emotional. Some people would have immediate personal revelations to be able to see God speaking to them about certain sins in their life. He said, those are kind of neutral. Those things are, would happen. But the real stuff, when real revival was happening, was when people loved Jesus way more. It was when people were really excited about seeing sins extinguished in their life. It was when people like, just couldn't, thirsted for the word. It was when, when people wanted true doctrine, when they started just having their love for God fill and, and their love for other human beings. That's when you know something real is manifesting. And so I just want to encourage us as we, we pursue God together to recognize we're, we're coming from different places. May the cessationist and the sensationalist dwell together at the same table. May we learn to love together, pursue Christ together, learn from each other, and that our whole congregation through each of us would be drawn closer to Jesus Christ. That that would be the thing, that wherever our gifts are being used, whether the administration gifts, they're the manifestation gifts, or the ministry and the motivational gifts. All these point to Christ and let us become stronger because we are to serve each other with these gifts. Let me pray. God, I ask that you would manifest yourself amongst us. Would you continue to bless us with all of your diverse gifts? May we have patience with those that we differ with as they interpret the scriptures. May we be vessels of your Holy Spirit. May your love be in all of our hearts. Would you please use the gifts of the Spirit here? Can you teach us how to dwell in unity, to show us your way forward? And we pray, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, and until he delays, fill us, Holy Spirit. Amen.